It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. So I was thinking a really interesting topic is social media influence. Influence in a general sense or influencers of those who are wielding or the whole enchilada? Are you talking about I the think enchilada? probably all of it. So the red sauce, the beans, the rice, the whole thing, the whole enchilada platter. <laughs> yeah. That's a big yes, platter. It you is. realize. Yep. So where do you want to start on that platter? Well, I was just thinking about earlier today how I don't like to use the term influencer for myself, but technically based on the work that I do. I'm an influencer. If you have an audience and you create content and they respond to it and, and, you know, people buy things or do things because of your suggestions or because of things that you're doing, then you're considered an influencer. Do you think that's an accurate definition? Yeah. I think an overall assessment of probably the commonly held definition would be somewhat that, yes. Or a person in a specific niche, like if we're thinking about from a brand perspective, that has the ability to influence their audience to purchase a product or take a specific action. Right. Similar definition. Similar. I just subverted it. Okay. Folded it up, made it into a quesadilla <laughs> or a quesadilla, oh my gosh. if you will. You're really into that. I am. That metaphor. You know, I, don't, well, I don't think that people were expecting A, for us to dive into the dissection of influencers, which we are and we will, but also for me to make references to Mexican food so early in this episode. Can you tell I'm hungry? Yeah, we're going to go a good dinner after we finish recording this. Okay, <laughs> so I'm trying to get back into the state of mind that I was in because I thought that this was really interesting. I was thinking about why people are drawn to being social media influencers. Actually, okay, I think this is what it was. I was reflecting on people that I meet who seem really unhappy in their work and people who say things like, oh, I wish I could do that. People have said that to you? Well, yeah, I think it's common. You know, like uh, I was driving home from my PO box and I had just had a conversation with the guy that works there or one of the guys that works there about how I get like stuff delivered to me. And sometimes I don't know what it is. And he was telling me there's a lot of social media influencers that get their, their packages delivered to the same PO box. And so I could tell he was fascinated by it. And then I started thinking about the contrast between his job where he's like at this kind of corporate place and he doesn't seem incredibly happy, kind of like a bit of a curmudgeon. (laughs) And I was just thinking about how it seems like a lot of people want to be influencers. And I started thinking about why. And I, I was just reflecting on a bunch of things, right? And then I I think that a lot of people want to be influencers because it's like a career path that is self-driven. So you can work for yourself, be your own boss. Mm-hmm. You can make your own hours. Mm-hmm. You can work wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And right now we're in this time 
where social media influencers are like, it's like very cool to be one. It's trendy, it's hip, it's desirable. And, you know, it's interesting because Jason and I both started our careers before this term influencer even was around. Yeah. We've both been doing our work for 10 plus years. And so it's also funny to see how social media has evolved so much. I mean, even just like, let's see, how many years ago was that? Like five years ago or so that people weren't taking Instagram that seriously. And now it seems like Instagram rules the world, right? Yeah. And so you see all these people that, you know, I feel like since I've been doing my work, blogging, being on YouTube, like that's been growing. But now it's so massive. And it's now like something that teenagers are pursuing before they even graduate high school. Some of them drop out of high school. Some of them never go to college. And they can make a lot of money. They can get all these followers. The reason I wanted to discuss this today is because I think it's just very, it's also very tied into pleasure, which was the topic of another one of our episodes, which I'll link to in the show notes if you didn't listen to it yet. We talked a lot about the pleasure trap and you know what draws people to different things. And I think that it's just social media influence feeds our ego so much, like getting people to comment on our lives, <laughs> to approve of our lives, to approve of our appearances, approve of our decisions, approve of everything. And so it becomes this like strong desire. Like if I'm going to and jump in at any time, Jason's just sitting there staring at me. I think he's trying to be very polite, but I would love you to just jump in whenever you feel inspired. Uh, I think he's over there pondering. <laughs> Is that what's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. So I feel like it's just so fascinating because, like, I would love to hear about your experience too, Jason. Like, for me, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. My day, it's like a Friday, and I'm picking up packages at my PO box. So, like, whatever time that was, one o'clock in the afternoon. It's like driving down the street to get my packages of products that somebody sent me for free, and then I'm coming home and recording a podcast and like making YouTube videos. Like, it's kind of amazing this career that we've each created for ourselves. Yeah, and. It's also just like unknown Wild West. So it's also fascinating because it's like we're kind of making it up as we go along. And then I was, I often think about like, what happens if I stop? What happens if I just don't do certain things? Like, don't post on Instagram or something. It's almost like this fear of like, oh, well, people are going to stop caring about my life. And then I start thinking about why does it matter? Why does their approval matter so much to me? Mm. You know? So now we're getting into the important questions. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to discuss this. So I have a lot of thoughts. I didn't record all of them when I was thinking about them earlier, but I know that we could just riff on this for a while. So Yeah, so let's just take it from there because I have been pondering quietly listening to you. Mm-hmm. Why does their approval matter so much? So there's a thing called the four dual basic urges. And when we call about the dual basic urges in terms of human psychology to levels of degree, they affect every human being on the planet. And so on the one side, we have things that we want to avoid, right? We want to avoid being rejected. We want to avoid being disapproved of. We want to avoid being misunderstood. We want to avoid a lack of significance or meaning in our life, right? Mm -hmm. These are the things we resist. 
We avoid being rejected. We avoid being misunderstood. We avoid all of those things we push away. We avoid those things. Kind of like the last episode, people, they don't want to take risks. They don't want to be courageous because they might be rejected, because they might be misunderstood, because they might lose their significance or importance. But the other side are the urges and the things that people want and the things that people go out of their way and literally sometimes kill themselves to get, which is attention, approval, significance, validation. Mm-hmm. So we have the things on the one side we are desperately trying to avoid and the other side, things that we desperately want to get. The question is why? We get into the human psychology of what is driving a person to be an influencer. I, In my framework, I feel that being an influencer right now is a subversion of the same desire to be famous. Yep. Because if you think about where most of the influencers are, New York and LA, mm-hmm. where the most actors and musicians and entertainers, New York and LA. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is several people we know, quite a few actually, now that I think about, who took the route of being an influencer, whether it was a yoga teacher or a chef or a wellness, myself included. I mean, people always ask me, and I'll just use myself as an example. Well, how'd you get into the food industry? I'm like, I moved out to LA when I was 27 and I was acting and going out for auditions and singing in bands and I wasn't making any money. So then it was like, oh, it's 2005. I'll take a much more secure career path, become a vegan chef in 2005. You guys get the the joke here, right? Like that wasn't secure at all. That was just another level of insanity. But so many people came out, I believe, to do one thing, whether it was, I mean, we both went to film school. It's like sometimes the things that we think that we were going to do in entertainment or performing or artistry don't end up being actually the things we did. So I pivoted because I loved acting. I still do. I love comedy. I love music. But I wasn't making enough money to subsist as an adult in Los Angeles on those artistic endeavors. So I became a chef and this idea of becoming a celebrity chef because I didn't achieve a certain level of notoriety and fame, like full disclosure. Yes, was I doing it because I wanted to help people heal their bodies and heal the planet and protect animals and all the reasons I became vegan? Yes. But for me, if I'm being radically honest right now, it was mm-hmm. a subversion of my desire to be famous. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, I couldn't be a famous actor. I couldn't be a famous musician. Maybe I can become a famous chef. And to whatever degree I did, I did become that. But I think that that is what drives a lot of people. And a layer deeper, to get super real about it, I think the reason that I wanted to be famous or was chasing fame was going back to this idea of if I'm important enough and I'm significant enough and I have enough approval and attention, which are all substrates of the idea of fame, attention, approval, validation, all those things, then I will protect myself from pain because I didn't get the approval, validation, and attention from my father because my father left when I was very, very young. I never had a good relationship with my dad. I barely knew him. So if I'm honest about it, and I think what motivates a lot of people who are chasing a career in entertainment and fame is they didn't get the love, approval, attention, significance in their childhood, and they think that that is going to be a substitute. Hashtag real talk. Absolutely. Whether yeah. they're willing to admit it or not, but I'm admitting it and I think for myself. That, I think that becoming a social media influencer is like a lot safer and easier than becoming an actor or something because like acting you have to go and audition and you have to get the part and it could take you years and years and years to ever get a role and you may never whereas social media it's like if you look a certain way it's quite easy right because beauty gets a lot of rewards on social media 
or just an interesting appearance, period. So whatever your definition of beauty or something physically enjoyable for people to look at, that's like a very easy path. And many people, I would say most influencers tend to be the standards of beauty or or the opposite standards of beauty. And thus, because they're different, then it's easier for them to stand out or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing. If you're talented, if you're good, if a good photographer or a good videographer or you're creative, it's very easy to stand out online and become an influencer. And I think it's much harder, like, because Jason and I both pursued careers in the film industry before we started doing our work. You know, it wasn't just talent alone, it was who you knew, and who you knew depended on luck many times or networking enough and then just following a path. And so it was like a very long path for most people, or it was just sheer luck that you became successful as an actor or a filmmaker or whatever it was. And same thing with musicians. You know, I think like you were saying, it was like a long path for all of that. Whereas social media is a shortcut. And we talked about shortcuts a bit in our other episode where we talked about supplements and all of that and pleasure. And how just digital media in general just kind of tends to be a shortcut. Because I remember I went to film school and, you know, just seeing how YouTube was developing and how, oh, I can just put my movie up on YouTube. It was very different, right, than growing up and having the completely different concept where people just weren't seeing your content. Like if I would make movies all the time when I was little, but it was for my friends and family. And then maybe I'd like submit them to a film festival or something, you know, and then like writing the script and all that. Like you had to go through all of these like traditional routes of making that happen, getting an agent, right? Now people don't even need agents. They just have social media followings and they could end up getting a career. That's right. That could be discovered. It's discoverability, I guess, is what it comes down to is really shifted with everything online. It's like so much easier. If you it's basically like if you use the right titles for your videos or you use the right thumbnail or photo or whatever it is, the right hashtags, that's how people get discovered now. Yes. And I have so many thoughts on this. My <laughs> mind is racing. Mm-hmm. So I want to break down a few things here in terms of I think that technology, which we talk a lot about in the, the one of the previous podcast episodes, but this again, it comes back around, is if we think about before the ubiquitous nature of personal computing and smartphones and all the things that we take for granted now, like let's go back to the 80s for a second and 70s and 60s and like, let's just take it back a few decades. Mm-hmm. Before we had something like the ability to record this podcast on a laptop computer or a phone or these mobile audio and video recording devices that have allowed musicians and actors and entertainers to record their content so easily and so quickly and distribute it. If you were an author or a musician or an entertainer or an artist of any kind, okay, if you are a musician, you weren't going and recording in a studio at home. You had to get a record deal to get into a studio and record your music. If you were an author, there was no self-public. I mean, you maybe you had a small printing press, but the tiny, tiny percentage of the population, you had to get a book deal. If you were an artist and wanted to get your work seen, you needed an artist rep or a gallery owner that believed in you. So to me, I think decades ago, since there were so many less people, especially artists and entertainers getting their work seen, the competition level was such that only the most talented people 
or we're getting their connected. work seen or most connected. Mm-hmm. What I think has happened now through the distribution and radical availability of these technologies is everyone is getting their content out there. Yes. Henceforth, there's a lot more noise. There's a lot more stuff to cut through and swipe through and look through and read through and listen through, in my opinion, to get to the stuff that is really moving and really talented and, to be honest, worth listening to or reading or mm-hmm. seeing. There's a lot of – I don't know. We're not going to flag this as ex- explicit, so I can, I'll can say crap instead. There's just a lot of crap out there. There's a ton. There's mountains of crap. Like junk. Yeah. Crap. Crap content. Crap everything. But here's the like thing. Like fast food. Here's the thing, though. For your ears. Because I – I don't want like here, here's old man Jason getting on the thing right now in social media because we're taking back to influence. But I think culture in general, talent is not valued as much as the ability to get attention. Yes. And we always talk about Kim Kardashian. She's just one example of many people who have mastered the ability to generate massive levels of attention for themselves, which has nothing to do with talent. As you said, it's about how you look or it's your beliefs or your political stance, or in my opinion, two things, being a really great digital drug dealer and the ability to polarize people. That's to me, attention comes down to two things. If we look at how much sex is a driver of content still, you know, you look at like, you swipe through the feed and it's like, who is this person who has 8 million followers? I've never even heard of this person. But as you said, they fit the standard of beauty or maybe they're not wearing many clothes or the people that have really radical political stances. I think the people who are getting the most attention, henceforth, the most followers are the people that have the ability to rile up the masses and get lots of attention for themselves. In many cases, I don't think talent has very, very much to do with it at all anymore. It's stimulation. If we're talking about influence. It's very much stimulation. And deep primal it, stimulation. Looking at a beautiful person is very stimulating. Sure. So I think that's why selfies and pictures of people scantily clad mm-hmm. are very attractive because you're thinking, wow. I like the way this looks. It's just like when you flip through a magazine. Mm -hmm. It's like Instagram in a way is very similar to a magazine, right? And then, yes, you're right. Like when you think about what you're drawn to on YouTube, for example, it's very much about drama. Like is it entertaining to you, right? I think that's why someone like the Kardashians are so successful is because it's the drama of their lives. It's a person that's very different from you. And so it's a voyeuristic thing. It's like, well, my life is nothing like the Kardashians, so I'm fascinated. That's why reality TV has done so well for so long. It's because it's a glimpse into somebody else's life, and it's a, we have an opportunity to escape it. And so I think that a lot of influencers have basically found ways to manipulate their lives. To hi- you know, We talk about the highlight reel of Instagram. And then it's also human nature and psychology to compare ourselves to others. Like that's what we do as human beings. And so you go on social media and you immediately start comparing yourself against, comparing and contrasting yourself against these people. Mm -hmm. And then it's very easy to judge somebody. And a lot of our judgments, I would venture to say most of our judgments are come out of insecurities and fears within ourselves. So we project our things that we don't like about ourselves or we don't want in ourselves on other people. And we become very judgmental that feels good. It feels good to dislike somebody. It feels good to criticize somebody, especially if we're feeling envious of them or inadequate. 
I think that social media can really bring out the worst of us in a lot of ways. It connects us. I think it's wonderful. And Jason and I love that. But, you know, I don't post that much on Instagram, at least not as a post. I do stories, but I I just don't enjoy the process of posting on Instagram right now in my life because it feels like I'm like shaping. It's like, to me, there's like pressure in a weird way and it feels uncomfortable to me. It's like, oh, I have to like make sure that this photo is socially acceptable and this caption conveys something of meaning in order to stand out. And if I feel like I don't want to put a lot of effort into it, but it's like I feel like it requires effort. And so I don't it's, it's a weird pressure thing. So for me personally, Instagram just feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I also feel uncomfortable oftentimes on Instagram. It's so interesting like a few months ago, I unfollowed thousands of people. I, I tried to like get it down to as low amount of people I was following as possible. And like every once in a while, I'll hear from somebody. Maybe it's only happened once. There's definitely one time I can remember somebody that was like really took it personally that I unfollowed them. And I thought this is so interesting that like they were afraid I no longer liked them in person because I didn't like them online. Right. And so it becomes this like blurred thing. And then it's so hard to know the reality of things. You know, in the other episode that we've been referencing, we talked about online dating and how, you know, online dating, it's also the highlight reel and it's the superficial thing. Yeah. And then how are you ever supposed to know if you really like somebody when the first date and the first impression and like maybe the first while that you're with them it's just somebody showing you the best of themselves right and then a lot of the times you get to the harder parts the roots of that person and then you say "Ooh, this doesn't work for me anymore and we wonder why divorce is happening more and more so or people are having struggling in their relationships and i was actually talking about this with somebody last night too how it's just so tempting because and this has actually happened to me in a relationship where when things got tough the person that i was with decided to go on an online dating app to make themselves feel better. Mm. And I I asked him, what are you doing? Why are you on that app? And his response was like virtually that he was looking for an escape route. It was like, oh, we're, we're struggling right now. So I'm going to escape the struggle by finding more pleasure and looking for somebody else who's showing me their highlight reel. And I think it's kind of like conditioning us, social media in general, to feel like we can only present the best of ourselves and we can never show the hard parts, mm-hmm. which you and I talked also about in that other episode of like, I think it's actually very refreshing. I think it's, I'm finding it more interesting to hear the challenges that people go through, whether it's being drawn to the drama or just feeling very refreshed to hear reality. Yeah. I mean, I think it it goes back to, for me, the impression I get from what you just said is it harkens back to the the dual basic urges I mentioned. And by and large, you know, on a cellular and chemical level, humans do not like change. Our bodies do not, our physiology does not respond well to change for the most part. So by avoiding challenge, like I'll use the example you had of rather than digging into inquiring, asking questions, trying to heal the situation between you and your former partner, It was like, I'm going to go escape and go date someone else, or I'm going to be on this app or just check out. The growth medium in life for us is the challenge, but we do everything we can, most people, to avoid those things. Why? 
Because first of all, they're hard and uncomfortable. And what do we want to do? We want to stay as comfortable as possible. And anything that challenges us or challenges our sense of being, our sense of who we are, we avoid that at all costs. I say we, generally speaking about humanity, not Whitney and I, but all of us do it to some degree of, oh, whoa, this thing is making me super uncomfortable. It's challenging who I think I am. I'm just going to avoid it. Like we play so many avoidance games. And to your point, I think that the reason that so many people present themselves online as they do as a microcosm of this behavior in dating, right? Because I think there is a parallel there, is if I show the world or this person I'm on a date with who I really am, there's fear and risk of being rejected. Yep. There's fear and risk of not being approved of. Mm-hmm. There's fear and risk of I'm going to go home alone. It's a very deep, again, primal tribal mentality of if I do something that upsets someone or they don't like, I will be cast out of the tribe and in the wilderness alone. Oh, because yeah. there was a time very not so recently ago, long ago rather, that in our tribal societies, our small tribal societies as humans, if you did something in the tribe that went against the code or was massively disapproved of, you may be shunned from the tribe to the degree where you are in the wilderness to fend for yourself. And I think that primal fight or flight response is still in our physiology. Absolutely. And we present this perfect version of ourselves to get the approval, attention, and significance that we so desperately crave. I definitely relate to that a lot. I think that's probably part of why I struggle to post on Instagram in this stage of my life is it's like feeling like I need to make everything that I do Instagram worthy if I'm going to post it. But who cares? When that thought comes into your mind, when you say I need to make it Instagram worthy for who? Like, what does that mean when you say that? I think it's because, you know, I, I look back, I've been using Instagram since 2012 ish, I think. Towards the end of it of 2012, I remember you and I both because I when Jason and I started dating, we dated before we, you know, and then evolved into a friendship afterwards. And I remember, I remember your Instagram, and you had only had a few posts on there. Oh yeah, like because that was back in late 2012, and and that. I could see, like, easily just go through your entire feed. It was probably, you probably had like 10 photos or something. Wow. Maybe less. Wow. Honestly. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and I could tell you right now what those photos were. Like, I'd, it's just very vivid. Whereas mm. now, most people, you go through their Instagram, it'll take you half an hour or hours to, like, go through their entire feed, depending on how frequently they post. So, right. anyways, back in 2012, it's like, I would just post everything. Back then, it was much more like stories are now. Like, I, I really gravitate towards Instagram stories because it's like, unfiltered it's like i never think about it but there's like a permanency to putting up a post you know even though you can delete them or archive them they're still the to me in my head become this pressure because over time given you know for jason and i working in this field for so long professionally it's this idea of i need this to look right so that i get the likes and if i get enough likes then I will look good to get sponsors or I will be socially accepted because Jason and I live in Los Angeles and a huge part of our crowd, the people that we spend time with, like most of our socializing is with other quote unquote influencers, content creators, whoever, right? Yeah, And so there's a big desire, at least within me, to be accepted by those people. And so to be radically honest as we're being There's this fear of mine that if I don't present myself in a certain way, then I will not be accepted. 
So every time I go to an event, it's like I feel like I have to look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way in order to be accepted by that crowd. Mm. And that if I'm not accepted by them, then I'm going to miss out on opportunities that may be vital to my career success, right? And I think this happens a lot, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, as you said, life is different out here and in big cities than it is elsewhere. But in LA, because LA is very fame-driven, as I said, it also goes back to my training as a filmmaker, which was all about networking. So you, networking is very much about who you know, meeting the right people, establishing relationships with them, having trust, finding people that you can ask favors of, that will introduce you, right? So all of that. And that still applies in the influencer world. But now it's like, oh, are we going to collaborate so that if you mention me on your social media, then I'll get some of your followers. And if I get more followers, then not only am I more socially accepted, but then maybe I'll get sponsored or mm. maybe I'll be invited on a cool trip or sent cool products. And so it's just like this desire for more and more and more and more and more. Right? I mean, it, you're, you're touching on something that is way deeper than just the idea of social media and social media influence. And you're talking about, again, and I think it's wonderful that it seems this is a consistent theme in our podcast of getting down into the deeper, more dark, unexamined parts of human psychology oh, and, what am- and what motivates human behavior. Because that, that is, all of this is just a microcosm of our conditioning, our behavioral patterns, and what we truly desire or truly try to avoid as human mm-hmm. beings. This is just a, a window into greater human behaviors and the struggle of what it means to be human. And if I may just like go down that path for a second longer, I think that intertwined with all of this on social media, but just in general, there is an idea of, I won't approve of myself or love myself or feel worthy until fill in the blank, until I get a million followers, until I make six figures, until I'm friends with so-and-so. Like We play this game of, I won't be happy and content and fulfilled and approve of myself until X happens. Mm -hmm. That happens all the time on social media, but I think it's indicative of a lot of the human thought patterns that are driving consumerism, that are driving materialism, that it's this externalized illusion of once I get a certain number in the bank account, once I get a certain number of followers, once I have these materialistic tokens of my worth and value as a being, then it will be okay. But the the downside, and I think part of what is contributing so much to people's decline in mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, and suicidal behavior is buying so deeply into this illusion. And I'm using this from influencers and celebrities that have taken their own lives, that there's a bill of goods that we are sold in society. Again, that once you have a certain level of fame or followers or the right car or the big house or all the money, then you have solved the puzzle. You've won the game. But what happens when you win that game And you realize that it hasn't made you love yourself more. You still don't approve of yourself. You still think that you're worthless. Like there are a lot of people who end up on the other side of quote, winning that game and still don't feel content and joyful. And then the real madness begins because then it's like, but this is what I was told would make me happy and Mm -hmm. I'm not happy. And then it becomes this chasing of, well, now I just have to get more of it or maybe you have to, you know. And by the way, Jason and I have a whole video series about this topic. And so some of the things that Jason just touched upon is in that video that we did. So we'll put that in the show notes. 
you can sign up and, and watch us talk about this more in depth and give some advice. And our, a lot of our advice is tailored towards people that are pursuing a career or have a career in influencer marketing. So if that this is resonating with you because like us, that's your career or you want that to be your career, I really encourage you to check out the video training we did. It's completely free. And again, it'll be in the show notes or you can just go to wellevator.com and you should find it pretty easily there. Yeah. You know, we could probably just end up talking about all the exact same things in that video. But I think there just is a lot of pressure. And, you know, I witnessed this with you, Jason, as there are, you know, the history with Jason, Jason and I have known each other for six years now. No, no, no. We, we've probably known of each other way before that. Oh, sure, sure. I thought you meant Maybe like, like at least 2010. Yeah, so eight years. Yeah, at least. Okay. We don't know exactly when we met, it's how murky. we met. We don't know. It's strange. There's debate <laughs> on whether it actually But we've been in this world, you know, crossover for a long time. And so I've having dated and now being like really, really great friends, we see the true sides of each other. True. And I remember just like who I thought Jason was before I really got to know him. And he's pretty much the same person. But it's like, I still remember seeing you as this guy who like had a, this incredibly successful career. And like you getting the TV show is such a big deal. Like we started dating right when Jason got his TV show on the cooking channel. And that was such a magical time to date you, really, because it was like so exhilarating. And I had taken a break from Los Angeles for like a little over a year. And so I came back to LA and like just saw everything in such a new light. And that was also, again, that was that was late 2012. So that was before Instagram became a huge deal. You know, and we've seen just like this evolution. I've seen an evolution of Jason's career as part of my point. And so from the outside, as unbiased as I can be knowing Jason, I see just like so much success and I hear you talk about your successes a lot. But then there are times where I see your really raw, vulnerable part of when you feel like nothing's going right. I mean, you get into some really dark places and, and it's, I have to say, like, I'm somewhat used to it because it is very frequent, but I, it still surprises me because of how I perceive you and I know other people perceive you. So I'm just kind of curious. And I think other listeners would find this interesting. It's like, what is it that takes you to those places? One of the big things is the gap between where I want to be and think I ought to be and am not. Mm. And so one of my biggest- Is that real though? No, it's an illusion, but it's a very potent illusion. And it's an illusion because I- have attached and I'm still unraveling the idea of associating the amount of talent and hard work that I perceive to put into everything that I do and expecting that to equate to an outcome. Right. So my that you think you should have. Right. Because I judge other people and say they're not as talented as me. They haven't been doing it as long. They haven't put as much work in. Why do they have all this money and success? Can and I so, pause you for a second there? So it's a judgment. And it's again a comparison thing. That brings me a lot of pain that I still struggle with. I was going to mention this to you offline, but I'll mention it now for because this Go is so interesting. As I just recently watched the newer Whitney Houston movie. It's mm. just called Whitney. Uh-huh. And it came out, I think, in 2017, maybe early 18. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I just watched it. And there's a really interesting moment in this movie. You know, Whitney, you see that movie and you're like, wow. I mean, it's a documentary. It wasn't a recreation of her life. So this is all footage. And it was just so 
incredible, like seeing her story, because it's it shows her entire story of how from like beginning of her life to end of her life. And so you just see this enormous talent and how her career unfolds. I mean, it's just a remarkable movie. And one of the most fascinating parts in that film for me was that I can't remember exactly what stage she was in her career. Once I name something, you'll probably be able to guess. Jason actually has a really good memory or knowledge base, I should say, of musical artists. So there's this footage of her. I think it was either like after a concert or like she was just hanging out with her mom and she was complaining (laughs) and judging artists like Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson. And you see her like bad mouthing them. And she's like, oh, these people, like they're getting all of these record deals and so much success and they're high up in the charts and their, their songs are not as deep as mine and they're not as talented as me. She's going on this whole rant, but you could tell that she felt very threatened by them. Interesting. And in my head, I'm thinking, first of all, like, they're all fairly talented. I mean, Paula Abdul, I guess, like, is probably like the, she was like, maybe like the Britney Spears of that time zone or something, right? But Janet Jackson, to me, I always thought was like very, very talented. But I think the difference was that Whitney Houston was like very much about like deep soulful pop you know i don't know if you would have ever called her pop music i guess at times she had pop music but it was very soulful and Mm -hmm. she you could tell just when you see the history of her life it was like so much that she put into her music and her talent she just worked like there's also the story of how she she crafted her voice right and i think she perceived people like paula abdul and janet jackson as like like similar to what we see on Instagram, like the difference between a really talented actress that we see in a movie versus like social media influencers who get a movie deal simply because they have millions of followers and they're pretty. And so I think it's really fascinating. And and I brought that up, Jason, Mm -hmm. because it's like amazing that Whitney Houston felt threatened by that. It's first of all, it's fascinating to think of that. And I think, you know, another kind of way of breaking all this down that I've thought to myself as well is the value standards we set for ourselves. Because this is all about value standards. You know what I mean? In the sense of one of the the best examples we talk about music since we're riffing on music, pun intended. This example was brought up in Mark Manson's book that I, I really like, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F-U-C-K. And uh, he talks about Dave Mustaine, who is the originator and leader of the band Megadeth. And Dave Mustaine's career started, he was actually the original guitarist in Metallica in the early 80s. And right before they went in to record their very first record, Kill Em All, they fired Dave Mustaine and sent him on a bus back home. And Dave Mustaine's mission in life to seek revenge on Metallica for firing him was to not only form a new band, but have it be more successful than Metallica. So a couple years go by, he forms Megadeth. Megadeth hits the charts. They're a huge, huge metal band from the 80s. But in an interview, this was about 10 years ago in the uh, Metallica documentary that came out, they interviewed Dave Mustaine. And first of all, the guy has sold tens of millions of records. He has, I've seen it, like awesome cars, you know, Ferraris, Aston Martins, the whole thing, right? Millions of dollars. Like Dave Mustaine, one of the most successful musicians on the planet. But he doesn't feel like he's accomplished anything because his metric of value 
was I need to sell more records and be more successful than Metallica. Okay. So he still feels miserable and still feels as if he is not enough because that was his standard of value and he never achieved it. doesn't matter that he's got millions of dollars, sold tens of millions of records, fancy cars, big house, tours the world. None of that matters because he never achieved the goal. So this is a slippery slope mm-hmm. because the big thing now on social media, goal setting, hashtag goals, goals, hustle. goals, goals, hustle, grind. It's like there's a very fine line psychologically between motivating yourself out of not enoughness versus motivating yourself out of joy, contribution. Like it is a razor thin line mm-hmm. because I do feel that a lot of people, myself included, are oftentimes motivated by a sense of if I accomplish X, then I will feel a sense of self-worth. Like I still struggle with that. Yeah. And I know what the source is. The source is a fractured relationship and a sense of abandonment with my dad and family issues Mm -hmm. of as a young child, it was like, I need to be the best at everything to feel worthy. And so I have a psychotic work ethic at times because I feel like if I just outwork everyone, then I'll be the best. But guess what? That's another misnomer is it's not just about hard work. And I need to rant for a second, love, because- this standard of value plays into if I just work hard enough and I just grind enough and I just hustle enough, then I'll win the game. Then I'll be enough. Then I'll be enough. And it's a constant chase that never ends. But it's, it's a like game your you question can't win. to me is it's a game enough you can't for win. who? Mm. Well, there you go. I mean, I just finished a That's really great book and I, I've been recommending it to Jason. I'll recommend it here on the podcast. It's called Choose Wonder Over Worry. And man, like that book hit like every pain point that I've been experiencing. And it's so, it's very concise. I read it really fast. I highly recommend it. And these are the things, she's like, ultimately her advice, she's a relatively young writer. She's probably in her thirties or something like that, Mm -hmm. but she's so not, you know, just very wise. And she basically, it all came down to, you just have to be happy with yourself. You have to accept yourself, have self-acceptance. Yes. And it really, I think that is the core of this all because I think social media influence is so driven by validation from others. I mean, when I broke down this kind of mindset is like when we think about all the different ways to, of what does success mean? I mean, a lot of us tie success to how many people know who we are. Yep. So that's why people are very obsessed with followers. Mm -hmm. But also followers are tied into like, how much we get paid. So it's like, oh, I want to get paid enough money. Then we think about, well, why is that important? Well, because we want security. We want to know that we can pay our bills. We want to know that we can put food on the table. Sure. We can. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is because in our field, it's just run so rampant. And it's like a desire to help and shed light because I don't know how many people really step back and examine these things. <laughs> you know, And then like, even if you're not in this influencer world or trying to be in this influencer world, you may still feel not enough based on social media, right? And, and how many people would be willing to admit that though? That's, that's what that's I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Let's, is, if we're willing to admit it, maybe other people will be willing so. to I admit it. I hope so it. because we want more reality and we want not just lip service to transparency and vulnerability because I feel like that has become a mechanism to try and sell stuff online now. You know what I mean? It's like, People are like, oh, hey, guys, I'm about to get super vulnerable here. And it's almost as if, yes, I want to encourage people to be more real and be honest about what's motivating them and honest about what they're afraid of. Because I think if we were to all be more honest, we'd find that those things are very similar. Mm -hmm. But I also see now 
that on social media, that vulnerability, real talk, all the hashtag, like it's become a marketing mechanism. And that turns my stomach where it's like, no, how about honest to God, realness, not Not just contrived realness. Yeah, not, hey guys, I'm going to announce that I'm getting vulnerable now. If you have to, (laughs) here's a tip. If you have to announce that you're about to be vulnerable, you're not being vulnerable. (laughs) You're manipulating people by announcing you're about to get vulnerable. Sick of seeing it. I'm sick of seeing it. And I try and have compassion because, again, those people are still trying to chase approval. It's very manipulative. Like, oh, if I'm just vulnerable and I cry and I feign being authentic, then I'll get people to like me. Again, it's it's a very slippery slope we're talking about here of. But this is it comes down to this, too, Jason, is like I'm now feeling like for a long time, I felt shame about the fact that I didn't post frequently. I still do this. I haven't posted a photo on Instagram in two months. Like that's I think, amazing. You know, I but I, I haven't. I haven't. There's nothing that I feel like posting. I like doing Instagram stories, as I've said. Those are very casual. But like in a post, post, like there's nothing that I'm like, ooh, I really want to post this on Instagram. But I feel some shame around that because I think, oh, well, then I'm not a real influencer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm. I'm. People won't take me seriously because of my followers and my view. You know, all that stuff. But then I started thinking about it in a different light of like, actually, maybe there's something really great about the fact that I don't feel the need to constantly post because I don't need to get people's approval of my life and every move that I take. And I don't need to share everything I eat and everything that I wear and everything that I experience, you know? And I think that that's an important thing is, is that you can be vulnerable offline, (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to prove to people that you're vulnerable by posting about your vulnerability. Yes. And chances are when people are writing about their vulnerability or showing a photo, they're still editing it in some way. Like there's a trend right now on Instagram where people do side-by-side photos, like women especially. And it's like, this is Instagram and then the other photos, real life. And then I... (laughs) I forget where I heard this. I don't know if someone was making this up or, or assuming or whatever, but they're like, I think people force themselves to look worse than they actually look to try to be like, yeah, look, I'm chubby. And then they push out their stomach. Again. And then the first photo is them sucking it in. So neither of them are real. Yes. And at first, yes. those photos are very refreshing because you're like, wow, that's true. Like everybody does show their highlight reel. But then when you force yourself to make yourself look worse or sound worse, I mean, this could be a very polarizing comment, but I, I have felt this way. So this is an honest feeling. It's like there's trends like the Me Too movement there when the Me Too movement and all these women were coming out with hashtag Me Too. It was like, as a woman, wow, like so amazing to see women sharing their vulnerability. But then there's sometimes I'd read posts and I'm like, are you just trying to come up with a Me Too post? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer and I'm not judging, but I would wonder that. And then maybe I was wondering that because in my head, I sat for a while wondering if I had a Me Too story and I don't. Mm -hmm. Not that I can think of unless it's like a repressed memory, but I don't have a Me Too story. Right. And that sounds like it should be a great thing, but yet I kind of felt like I wasn't participating because I didn't have a Me Too story to share, which is really freaking weird. Right. And my point with that is, are, are we forcing ourselves to do things because it's inclusive? It's like also the ice bucket challenge years ago. Remember that when everybody was doing the ice bucket challenge? And course. Jason and I, we did an ice bucket challenge video talking about why we weren't doing it. 
That's right. But I think part of the reason we did that video is like it was a way of participating by not participating. It was. And it's the same mechanism. I don't want to compare me too to anything in terms of no. severity and depth because No, I'm not I'm not comparing me too. I'm just saying they're both Yes. In a way, they're movements. Yes, yeah, correct. That's what I, I, meant. I, I was about to jump in the same thing and, and it seems that there is a lot of self-imposed pressure to keep up with the Joneses. Yes. And social media again, social media, much like money, much like any convention that I think humans are massively agree like intrinsically social media is not bad i want to just say that right we've said it many times we both use it right maybe people are listening to this podcast because of social media there's great elements and it is again a vehicle a tool for you to channel your energy your intention your sense of self and it is a reflection of that i mean there's so many things but since we're on this subject if we go back to this standard of value or this pressure to fit in or keep up with the joneses it's like where else is that showing up in your life? Because it's not just on your online profile. It's a mechanism, a thought form, a way of being that is perpetuating probably a lot of different areas of your life. So for me, again, like my lack of self-worth, it doesn't just show up on social media. It shows up in other areas of my life too, where I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, I need to give myself more love. I need to find out how to independently continue to radically love and accept myself no matter what the external conditions are, because it's like this, you know, oh, as long as I have a certain amount of money in the bank and things are going well and I'm in a relationship and my health is good and I'm killing it and blah, 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 I love myself. But what happens when a relationship ends? What happens if your bank account or your investment suddenly plummet, which happens every day? What happens when you get a health scare? It's like those are the moments when we get to see truly not only how much fortitude we have, but how much deep love and compassion and acceptance we have for ourselves when we, quote, mess up or, quote, bad things happen. Because it's easy to feel good about ourselves when everything's going great. But again, the challenge, the growth mechanism, I think the most powerful mirror for us is when we get thrown one of those curveballs in life. And I started noticing for me that when that would happen, I would start to beat myself up and take the blame and feel like I was responsible. I'm the one who did this. You know, (sighs) social media is just a good mirror and a good reflection to show us, I think, of how we're operating in our lives and areas that need healing and attention. I really do. If people are aware enough to see it, though. And I think it's important to examine your relationship because I I know that there I have a love hate relationship. Maybe that's an extreme. I don't like to use the word hate (laughs) very much, but. I definitely feel resentment towards it. And and when you were saying how it doesn't just show up online, I think one of the things I struggle with living in Los Angeles and being in this influencer world is socializing because I actually don't like going to influencer events right now because I feel like everyone's there to network with each other so that they can potentially grow their following. Are they really there to make deep connections? I think some everybody there probably at the root of themselves is there to connect, but their default behavior is very driven by what can I get out of this to Bingo. feed my ego. Bingo. And that is so uncomfortable for me. And it just like everyone taking photos. It's like I used to find so much joy in taking pictures and making videos. That was where my career started. I documented everything. And I was the odd one out. I was the weird one that would take pictures at dinner. I remember back in 2009, like after I'd started my blog, it was weird 
men that I dated were annoyed when I took photos at, at dinner. Now it's like a given that you're going to do that if you have a blog or an Instagram. You know, people look at me and they like wait for me to take a photo. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to take a photo of this meal. I rarely take photos of my meals. Yeah. Right. Unless it's something very special. And it's like, first of all, yeah, going out to meals with anybody who's posting online, it's gotten to the point where it's kind of annoying to me. And like, I actually out of like some almost resentment or just like, it doesn't feel original anymore to take photos of food. And I'm mm. like, well, if that person's taking a photo of their food, what's the point of me taking it? The food is already captured. Like when Jason and I go out to eat, he, you Instagram story pretty much everything. And so when Jason's posting away on his Instagram stories, I'm like, it's redundant for me to be posting about the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. The thing happens at at a lot of these gatherings that we go to and influencer events and summits and conference, all this stuff like that we go to. It's like a bunch of people sitting around trying to figure out how they can grow their influence and how they can make more money and how, you know, and don't get me wrong. I want, I'm always interested in making more money, but I want to do it in a way that's deeply authentic and deeply rewarding. I don't want to like make it all about some strategy that it's a little hard to verbalize this, but like, I love strategy, but there's certain types of strategy that really put me off. And those are usually the ones that feel like they're not authentic. Like I'm going to buy followers or I'm going to like somehow artificially inflate myself as a strategy. And I feel like it comes back down to that shortcut thing that we've talked about a few times in this episode and another one. Shortcuts make me feel very uncomfortable because it feels like so many people are taking shortcuts. And so I'm just like, I don't really want to take shortcuts, but I feel like I'm supposed to be taking shortcuts. I feel like I'm supposed to be artificially inflating things. I feel like I'm supposed to be superficial or supposed. It's like all this supposed to stuff. And as we talked about in that other episode, which again, will be in the show notes of this one. It was like what you were saying about online dating. Like mm-hmm. you were feeling like pressure to online date. Like that's how you're going to meet your partner is if you go online. But deep down, at least not now in your life, you don't really want to do that. No. And no. that's similar to how I feel sometimes as an, as a quote unquote influencer. It's like there's a lot of things that other, it seems like the mass amounts the average influencer is doing and it's working for them. And I'm sitting here going, I don't really want to do those things, but they're working. And so I feel like if I don't do them, then I'm not going to be as successful or whatever, you know? But let's take this mentality again as a microcosm of a macro way of how we're living in other areas of our life. If someone were to say, hey, Whitney, I can make you a million dollars this year. I've got this app that allows you to siphon a penny out of tens of thousands of people's bank accounts, but they'll never know. Would you do it? No. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's the same mechanism is if people are, if they're giving to get, if Mm. they're buying followers, if they're being strategic from a manipulative sense of using someone because the means justify the ends, which I feel like a ton of people in our industry are doing that. I don't want to be a part of that. Because yes, you but might have part of it in some way. I'm just trying to be real because like you are on social media very differently than me. So I'm kind of curious about your mentality around it. Yeah, so my, like, my, what's your- my mentality is I started noticing this was probably last year. I remember I sat down to do a post because I was feeling like I wasn't getting enough attention and I wasn't feeling like my numbers were high enough. And I started writing this post 
And I realized that I was not doing this to give anything of value. I was doing it to get something. Mm -hmm. And now, every time that I sit down to do a post, I take a moment to really, really get still and think about what is it I want to convey here? Is this for me? I mean, on some level, of course it is. I mean, the ego is always going to be present. But it's not under this mentality of I'm lacking something, so I'm going to try and manipulate you on an emotional level to get something from you. Mm-hmm. And, and you post a lot. So how are you able to do that? I mean, do you completely real talk every yeah. single Instagram story? You go through that mentality, that checklist in your head? No, no, no. I mean, sometimes it's just about like, hey, here's I'm hanging out here. I'm eating at this place. I want to show you guys. In, in terms why of, are you doing that? Why am I posting all that? Because because if if you guys don't follow Jason's private account or like a personal account, yeah, you are known at least in in like your good friends. Like we know that you'll post like fifty separate Instagram stories in one day. Yeah, but whereas like maybe for me as a contrast, I'm saying like I'll maybe post three to five. Like I don't post that many stories. Sure. So for me to, from my perspective, it's like you're sharing. 10 times as much as I am. Yes. So what is it that drives you to share that much? I'm, I'm just curious. I think for me, with the context you're talking about, it's, it's a fine line, right? Because I want to give people a glimpse into what is bringing me joy and what I'm experiencing. It's like I want to invite you into my world mm-hmm. so you can see what I'm seeing and feel what I'm feeling. But why? Hmm. This is the question. stuff that I'm fascinated by, like when it comes to influencers, because I feel like it's, I want to hear your answer, but as no, you're, contemplating. you're contemplating it. And I see what happens a lot with social media content is it's like, there is this desire to hustle, 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 post, 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 be consistent. You know, you need to be posting all the time. You can't let anybody forget about you. You need to share everything because every piece of content is an opportunity to be seen and maybe maybe this person will see you and like it, or maybe this brand will recognize you. Or, you know, it's like almost like we feel like the more we put out there, the greater the chance we're going to get of being seen and validated and successful and blah, blah, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I think at my core, I don't, I don't want to be doing that. I feel weird that I don't do that. I feel like, is there something wrong with me because I don't post as much as a lot of influencers do, right? And that's interesting for me to examine. So it's also fascinating when I see people like Jason who post so much more than I do. And I'm curious, what drives that? And is there a purpose behind it? Or is there, is that possibly a knee-jerk reaction? Are you buying into this world of more and more and more? Mm -hmm. Or is it that maybe you're just more open than I am? Like, there's also a, a personality difference between me and Jason is like, in addition to being different genders and completely different people, even though we're very similar, one big difference between the two of us is that I tend to be more introverted and Jason's very extroverted. Mm-hmm. So I suppose maybe that's an outlet for your extroversion is that you talk a lot, you share a lot, whereas my introversion's a little bit more like internal and I don't feel the need to share as much about my life. It's not that I'm trying to like be private. It's that I just don't feel the need to share every right. detail of my life all the time. Right. I mean, I think part of it is definitely a desire to maintain relevance. That's what I'm wondering. Of, hey, I'm here doing stuff, stuff that matters, everybody. So what do you get from so being it's, relevant? So it's significance. That one specifically is significance. 
Like you want to be, you want to make sure that people don't forget about you so that you stay significant in their mind. Correct. Yeah. I mean, to so be, is to, that yeah, real talk, like, when you get really low, do you feel like you're not significant enough? Are you overcompensating perhaps? You know, it's interesting because in the moments that I'm posting, I often don't, I don't feel sad or depressed. So it's not a knee jerk reaction to a current emotional state, but I think it's a subconscious thing that I'm bringing to the conscious now of, yeah, this idea of looking at the people that we admire or really respect and how often they're posting things and how consistent they are and feeling like I need to keep up with that output or I'm going to lose significance or I will never reach the heights that the avatars and the gurus that I respect are. Uh-huh. So it is not only a significance thing, but it is a comparison thing of, well, if they've achieved what I want and they're further along on the path, then I need to somehow emulate the amount of content, the type of content, or the work ethic, or I ain't going to keep up. So it is a pressure. It is a pressure. But it's a self-imposed pressure because, I mean, I've been studying social media and entrepreneurship, you know, all this work for- Decade plus. A long time. I mean, in addition to creating content, I'm also- a coach around all of this. And so I study constantly. I'm always reading. And one thing that keeps coming up is it's like, there's formulas. It's like the information I see is there's some people that are really into strategy and formula. But first of all, strategy and formula constantly changing, like on sometimes a week to week, month to month, at least a year to year, six month basis, things are always changing. So you, Mm -hmm. you really can't stick to any strategy very long. But there also is like something to be said about doing things differently. And it's interesting, though, because I feel like the common thing for social media influencers is to really lock into one strategy and everyone starts doing it. And then who is it that breaks out of that mold and starts doing something different? I don't know. But then there's somebody like doing it this way or, you know, that way. And so at the end of the day, I just wonder, there isn't one way. There isn't one path to success. And just because somebody's doing it right now doesn't mean that that's the way and the only way. And it also doesn't mean that they're successful because of all that stuff. They may have already been successful. So my point being, let's say you pick this one, like Richard Branson. Is it the fact that he does blank, 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 blank that made him successful? Or is he already successful? And then he happens to do all this other stuff, but that has nothing to do with his success. Mm. I don't know, chicken or the that's, egg. That's why it's, to me, dangerous to just do something because somebody else is doing it. Of course. And self-admittedly- I'm not judging you. I'm just- Oh, I know. I, discussing I, this. I think for me, it's also about, and you and I talk about this all the time, the willingness to experiment and try new things over and over and over and over and over. And sometimes when our expectations get wrapped up in those things, that's what can breed disappointment and this idea of, I'm just going to give up. And so many people- you know, there are specific people we knew that came into social media, had massive followings really quick, and they got right out the game. Oh, They're and that's gone. a fascinating They're thing, gone. too. Because we've gone. been like Instagram again, coming back to that since that's like the big network right now. Is like, I remember back, it was probably 2013 ish, 2014, somewhere in there. Like, you remember when people started to become like Instagram famous off of like having 50,000 followers at the sure. time, 50,000 was huge on sure. Instagram. Sure. And now that's like nothing. It feels like. That's what uh, they call a micro influencer. Yeah. But at the time it was a big deal. If you 
remember when you like when you crossed 10,000, it was a huge deal on Instagram. And it's funny now because I think the quote unquote average person has maybe like less than a hundred or less than a thousand. But like in terms of the influencer world, if you have under a hundred thousand, like you're, you're a micro influencer, right? Yep. And now in, the stakes keep getting raised and raised and raised. And so it is fascinating to have longevity and see the people that felt so important and so like the measurement of success, those people either are not as relevant relatively, or they're just not even doing that anymore. Sure. And then it's so that's why I think it's so important to not be attached to comparing yourself or copying, emulating somebody all the time in the way that they do things, because you're just, you're not them. You're your own person. Yeah. And I think, and so success becomes too attached to like formulations. And I think Right. Coming back to like what drives us and what we define as success. I don't think most people even know what they think of as success. No. It's just some the vague idea of like, oh, it's a feeling. It's like, I'll feel success. And then as you were saying earlier, you're chasing that feeling of success, but never quite getting there. Or what they think they want isn't actually what they want because they've observed what other people have achieved. And they just subvert those achievements and make them their own. Right. So the question becomes, what is actually your own thought versus someone else? What is actually your program versus a program that was installed in you? And is what you want actually what you want? And have you created your own? Have you actually defined what happiness, contentment, fulfillment, and success are to you? Or are you just taking the blueprint of what other people have done? And co-opting it as your own. Mm -hmm. And I think I've fallen into that trap many times until it's like, wait, what if I actually answer that question for myself? Mm -hmm. Like, can I strip away any of the conditioning or any of the ought to's or supposed to's or thou shalt's and actually answer honestly what that means to me? Mm -hmm. And most people go through life never asking the question and certainly not defining it of what happiness, contentment, fulfillment, and success mean to them. Or they're also always chasing something in the future, a future feeling. Sure. And this is something I I was journaling about, I think it was yesterday. I did morning pages where I just sat for 10 minutes and journaled, and it felt so good. I want to start doing that regularly. It's definitely a habit I need to build or want to build. And in that, I started reflecting on the fact that like I was stressing out about like how I was going to make money like few, a few months from now, because right right now I have a, a gig, it's temporary and it's paying me very well. And yet I'm so concerned with what I'm going to, where the next income is going to come from. And that's like three months away. And I, I was kind of laughing at myself because I was sitting here going like, why am I feel stressed? And like, what's this tension coming from? And it was like tension about the future. Mm-hmm. And this like, all these, I mean, I'm fascinated by finances and I, I feel very driven to learn more about that for myself. And I, I actually really, really want to do more coaching around this stuff. Like, I feel like that's just a pain point that I want to address not only in my own life, but for other people. Because I just feel like so many people get stressed. I know you do too, Jason. We talk about this all the time. And it's like, in my journal, I started writing out how things were in that moment. And I, I just looked at this list and thought, do I have money right now? Yes. Do I have money coming in very soon? Yes. 
Do I know where my next paycheck's going to be? Yes. Do I have money to pay rent and pay my other bills? Yeah. And then I started thinking about the things that I am doing today or the things that I'm doing in the near future. Are these bringing me happiness? Yes. And I, when I started to write it all down and evaluate it, it's also similar to when people do like a gratitude list, which yeah. is actually in all my studyings of success, happiness, fulfillment, all of that. That is one of the most common recommendations. So I will recommend this to everybody who's on this search of feeling satisfied, which I think is probably why people are listening, is like, we're all just like looking for personal fulfillment and happiness. And oftentimes we're looking in the wrong places as we've been discussing. But one of the greatest things that we can do for ourselves is to write a daily gratitude list, whether it's at the beginning, end, or both parts of your day. Mm -hmm. And when you really sit down and you become present to what you're grateful for in that day, in that moment then you can say, you know what? I actually am happy. And the reason I don't feel happy is because I'm attaching my sense of happiness to something that hasn't even happened yet. Mm. Yeah. And when I check in with myself, like that's one of the motivators I think for meditation is that you just have to like become very still and connected to the present moment. And I think what really happens to us so much on social media is this, this drive for more. And this ongoing feeling of not enoughness. And the, often the reason that we're in that state is because we're so connected to like what we don't have. But if we become focused on what we do have, most of us have so much. I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast has a lot. You have an internet connection and you have a device that allows you to listen to this. That's incredible. You know, like you have the time to spend to listen mm -hmm. wherever you are in this moment. Like that's amazing. And I think the appreciating simple things like that, and also just appreciating the big things and all the great things, the more we can focus on that in our personal lives versus always measuring ourselves up against what other people are doing and what other people have. I think that is honestly one of the biggest challenges in our lives right now online. It's just that constant measurement and the measuring stick never ends to your no. point too jason there's always going to be somebody who's younger than you or older than you that looks better than you that looks different than you that has more money who has the relationship that you want blah, blah, blah on and on and on but we have no context over how they got those things how long how how long are they going to have them so to me just really quick another book recommendation because what this brings up to me is the game that we're playing again Attention, approval, significance, validation, avoiding the things were make us discomfortable or uncomfortable rather. There's a great book called Finite and Infinite Games by James Kars. We'll put that in the show notes. He talks about all of these things, sports, fame, money, beauty, worldly success. These are finite games. These are things that we judge based on our value metrics that are winnable or losable, right? Like you get into a finite game. There's a winner and a loser, and we set up metrics to determine what winning and losing mean. Infinite games, and in his point, and I agree with this, the infinite game is growth because there's no ceiling and there's no winner or loser in the growth and evolution game. So I think for me, the context to contain this entire podcast, but a lot of the things that I try and remind myself of is to disconnect from the finite games that we are all obsessed with as humans, obsessed with, that run our culture and society, 
to the higher level infinite game of I am a being who is here to grow and expand and learn on earth while I am here. And I'm hopefully going to take those lessons and experience and growth into wherever I'm going next. That's what I'm more interested in and becoming more interested in, in the growth, evolution, and expansion of our being and not getting so obsessed and focused on these finite games that on the highest level, on the highest, highest level, it's not that they don't matter, but I think it's important that we shift our focus into things that are beyond measurement. The expansion of our being is beyond measurement. Our growth is beyond measurement. And that's the things that I'm interested in focusing on more and encourage all of us to start focusing on. I love that term. That is a really wonderful way to encapsulate all the big message here. Well, I'm sure you as a listener have a lot of thoughts on this, and we would legitimately love to hear your thoughts. So we hope that you communicate them with us somehow. If you go to wellevator.com, you can find the show notes for this episode and our contact information. And so you can choose your method that feels most comfortable, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. There's so many ways. I've, and I, we might even set up some sort of a, a voice system here. We're still determining a lot about this podcast since it's brand new for us. So you will find a way to communicate with us privately or publicly at wellevator.com. And we really mean it when we say that we'd love to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to make this a conversation as much as possible. Thank you so much for listening. Doing this podcast is really a glance into our thoughts, our conversations, and, and a lot of subject matter that's on our hearts. So thank you for giving us the space to share it all. And we'll see you again for another episode of the podcast with Whitney. And? And Jason. <laughs> I was like, wait, whose name am I saying? <laughs> We've already become the same person. My God. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.